0: It's time to rock and roll. I'll just uh, yeah, I don't yeah. need to record anything or anything like that. I just do it over the Zoom because convenience. And sure, so you just use the uh, the
1: Zoom microphone and all that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, sure. it's it's fine. I don't need to impress anyone <laughs> with my fancy non professional capabilities like the tagline of this podcast is professionally unprofessional Mm -hmm. I thought about changing it at one point but then I was like no it it lets it gives me that leeway to never try too hard you know what I mean
1: sure yeah people I feel like with podcasts people just want to hear you know some parasocial relationship happening they just want to be like overhearing a conversation right
0: yeah yeah you know it's like I used to be like really self conscious about, like, fuck, are these too fucking long? Like, are, like, who gives a shit about, like, my opinion on movies and stuff? And then, like, some, I've done like six hour podcasts, which are like embarrassing, but people listen to them still. So I'm like, all right, well, it just clearly doesn't matter what you're talking about as long as people like like tuning in. So I'm like,
1: okay, that's fine. nothing's too long so long as you're you know you're on a commute
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah, exactly
1: driving uh but do you do you edit at all
0: i i do i i sometimes have to trim around stuff and someone might not want something that they said on there uh to be mentioned and that's like you know it's totally fine i don't i'm not like raw dog in the podcast or anything like that um (laughs) sometimes i'm like oh i don't have to do anything it's like i put the little intro and get rid of like the the early discussions i might keep this discussion in. i don't know oh, it's just okay we're talking yeah we're just we'll just talk hello welcome back to the waffle press hangouts. Hitting journalism yeah this is this is what a degree in journalism gets you folks a podcast <laughs> with two movie nerds uh one who is is a hardcore screenwriter uh very talented director uh just this kind of the whole package i'm your host Diego Crespo so that's not me i'm referring to uh but my guest today is Avishai Weinberger how are you
1: i'm good thank you for having me how are you
0: uh i'm better now that you're here uh this is we're trying to do more like conversational style like stuff on this podcast I want to talk to people who are in the industry and uh because gene and i my, my one of my co-hosts and good friend like you know, we're we're trying to get stuff made basically now, but we also just want like to highlight. Like, we're not going to get Christopher Nolan on, on the podcast, like we know that. Um, I will yeah. ask, but no. we'll, I'll get a no. You know what I mean? Uh, but like, we we want to hear perspectives of of other filmmakers, pals. Like, it's also just an excuse to like talk to people and hang out. And um, we met over Twitter. Uh, we met when I found out you were in L.A. for a week, and then I was like, "Hey, I'm going to go watch No Time to Die tonight. Do you want to come?" And then I forced you into the heart of downtown L.A. Uh, to watch James Bond with me, and I, I loved it. I, I, I remember you having a positive experience as well. But that's how we met. I was like, I, I got nothing else going on tonight. Come to the yeah. movie
1: with me. And then he gave me a ride back to my uh to the my couch.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, and then it started. You got the L.A. rain, the the much spoken of L.A. rain, which is kind of a light drizzle.
1: Yeah, as, as we refer to in uh, in New York, uh, air, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't know, I, I actually, honestly, thinking back of the experience, I remember the difficulty of getting into the LA Alamo, I remember the movie, I remember chatting with you at the Starbucks, I remember the bride, I don't remember the rain, like, at all.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was just, it's nothing, We people overreact here. Although I it, it it did actually get a little intense on in New Year's. Like I'm not someone who gets all L.A. about. I've lived through my whole life and I've never been like terrified of it. It was actually driving to to Gene's house for for the New Year celebration. That was actually pretty intense. I I was um uh, I was I was everyone was like 30 miles an hour on the freeway, just driving super slowly, and uh, but that was a treat. Was but so enough right. people don't want to hear about me. People want to hear about you. Uh, tell and me about the little- weather. <laughs> and and the weather, yeah. What's the weather like over there? And then tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Weather well, is a balmy, like forty. Uh, I uh, I honestly don't quite know where to start. I don't I don't introduce myself that often. Okay, what, 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 here. what, what do I say? Let, let me <laughs> let
0: me give you a a little on ramp then. So, you like movies? You make them. You're making more. What? Like got you started on the path of like I want to I want to do this I want to make movies.
1: Okay, yeah. So I am a I am a screenwriter who occasionally makes short films and hopes to one day expand beyond that to features. And uh, I uh, I think I I think I got it. I think I owe it all to Godzilla. <laughs> I, uh, I, so you know you know like sometimes like when you're a little kid like you'll hyper fixate on a thing. And then i will just sort of be the thing, and then you'll hyper fixate on the next thing. So, like, I started off on like trains, like Thomas the Tank Engine and stuff like that, and then dinosaurs. And when I was in my dinosaur phase, my parents and I were walking down some, uh, some like flea market, and there was a guy selling Godzilla VHSs. And I had seen like snippets of the 1998 American, like Roland Emmerich, uh, Dean Devlin Godzilla. And here's something like VHSs of these 1950s and 60s Godzilla movies. And we decided to buy Godzilla King of the Monsters, the Americanized 1956 version with Raymond Burr. And I, I have a memory of my parents saying, you're going to find this kind of boring. Like, you, you, you're you, probably expecting something gray flashy, but it's going to be black and white and kind of slow and, you know, hitting special effects and all that. And I'm like a child. And we put it on, and it's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so then it's like, dinosaurs are out, Godzilla is in. And just watching all of these Godzilla movies kind of warps a kid's brain because it's like here's the coolest thing you've ever seen that is simultaneously very handmade like you can tell this is people in costumes stomping around miniature sets and when you're a kid you're like there's no distinction between a miniature and a toy right you're surrounded by toys too so you're like i can do that and you see you start making little videos and then that just sort of you know goes from there where suddenly it's like you can make these things and i feel like that's an on-ramp that I'm assuming a lot of kids get, but that was definitely mine. And from that point on, it's like, how do I make these things? And, you know, you got a little like summer camp stuff and learn about what a, comp- what a computer is. You sort of assume like, Oh, to make a, make a video, just turn the camera on and off. And, you know, f- that's a shot. Uh, it's like, Oh no, you uh actually cut it on the computer. And, uh, kind of went from there, went to, you know, became obsessed with filmmaking, um, throughout, you know, middle school and high school. I made a, a forty-minute found footage zombie movie, and then a seventy-minute found footage zombie movie in high school. The seventy-minute one I actually made in my high school, where oh. I would film. Yeah, so I I got a bunch of friends. I was like, let's go, let's come in on a weekend. So I made an arrangement with our security guard, where it's like I'm gonna come in on a weekend with these people, and we're gonna shoot this found footage zombie movie. And found footage, like, I because I don't need a crew or anything. It's just a camera and some people, and I bring in all these. Prop guns like these machine guns and pistols and stuff, and I would show it to the security guard. He's like, "Yep, cool." <laughs> then we just run around the you know the high school with these things, um, which is definitely not something you'd ever be allowed to do now. But made it. Went to a, I went to a film school for one year in Jerusalem called Maaleh Film School, which is extremely hands on. It's like you're like in a house, and it's like a four year program that I did for one year, and it's like twelve people per grade um and you're all just like helping each other on projects and it's like here's directing class here's camera class here's editing class for your weekend project or shoot a thing and it's extremely hands-on and very intensive and then suddenly from there to nyu film school where it's like you're now in a class with hundreds of people very decentralized we're gonna start by teaching you how to take a photograph and uh, (laughs) you know maybe you could string some photographs together and then we're gonna teach you how to do sound dramas and it's and we'll teach you a whole lot of theory so it kind of shifts away from that intensive gorilla, like, go, 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 into super formal theory, and I shifted into screenwriting because I'm an Orthodox Jew, and I have a hard time working on Saturdays, and that's when all this, this, my friends' projects would happen, so it was hard for me to get on cruise, because, like, yeah, I can I can help you out for, you know, one of your three days, and, uh, it's like, well, writing I could do on my own time, so I... Uh, shifted a little bit into writing and then that's where most of my success has been that's my very long-winded uh life story <laughs> no no
0: that's great that that's what i i want out of these conversations and you know because i i actually genuinely didn't know that about you i i i knew we have similar tastes we get along uh pretty well on twitter i think we yeah we do <laughs> yeah yeah and then um you know we, we hit it off in real life too and uh the Godzilla thing, you know, I've worn this shirt on the podcast many a time. Yes. But it's been a minute since I have. So I was like, I pretty sure I remember him liking Godzilla. I gotta I gotta throw oh, this yeah. on for this one. Oh I
1: to this day, and it's it's an obsession of mine. And I guess to the people who are listening to this, do people ever watch the podcast or is it entirely just audio?
0: It's it's usually audio, but people do watch the podcast sometimes on YouTube and other times. No one uh-huh. it, even, if I, even <laughs> if I upload
1: it to YouTube. Okay. For for listeners, uh Diego is wearing a sweet ass Godzilla twenty fourteen shirt. hmm Um
0: yeah. So I you know this is not a, a question I had in mind, but th- which of the, the kaiju movies of the last decade is, is your favorite? Because there were there was quite a few, Ooh. surprisingly. And not just like, you know, from from Toho and stuff like that, although they obviously have the best track record, just top to bottom. There's
1: kaiju movies of the last decade? Man, See, okay.
0: Like, like for me, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Like for me, it's it's, it's Pacific Rim. Like Guillermo del Toro is just like mm-hmm. kind of, he's on my Mount Rushmore, you know.
1: Yeah, I really like Pacific Rim. I, I was kind of ruined for Pacific Rim because I read the, I read the screenplay for it before I saw it, and I'm like, this is awesome. And then I saw the movie, and they had changed. A very key thing that I loved about that draft, that I'm like, oh no, they didn't do it, and suddenly it's like it just felt less special to me just because of that. But it's a pretty special movie.
0: Um, I'm gonna need so,
1: info on that later, but go ahead. I will. I will tell you. Hell, I'll tell it on the podcast. But I'm trying to think what my favorite uh kaiju movie is of the last decade because there have been a lot of really good ones, and also I'm not sure which one of them are necessarily like specifically to my taste because I realize. You know I love the big goofy special effectsy stuff, and I especially love what Legendary and Warner Brothers have been doing with with these Godzilla and Kong movies. That said, they're start it's starting to feel a little aesthetically like American blockbusters in general. And there's something about kaiju movies, especially growing up, not even just the fact that there are people in suits and it's so bespoke, but there's a vibe to them that I feel like it's really difficult to recapture that. Um, and that's probably a whole topic of discussion, but I don't know. I, I I don't know if it was this decade, but I really liked Gareth Edwards' monsters. Yeah, that
0: that counts as the, as the decade. That's like twenty fourteen, right?
1: Was it okay? Because no, because Godzilla was twenty fourteen, and he got. Oh no, monsters. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: that's right. Okay, Ooh,
1: I don't remember, but oh, we'll count, I'm, it. We'll I'm count say, it. I'm gonna say it because because what I love about that movie so much is it really captures the awe of the size of these things. And also the feeling of these things are in our world. Now it by virtue of an existing in our world, our world is changing and the way we interact with each other and with the landscape has to fundamentally be different. You know, it's like, it's like living in a world where hurricanes are just everywhere. It's like, well, you're not just going to, it's not going to be business as usual, you know? And I, I particularly love the man on the ground feeling of that. Like I, my favorite parts of Gareth Edwards' Godzilla movie uh, are the ones where we feel extremely small in comparison to these giant things, and uh, uh, yeah, like like Shin Godzilla does that pretty well, I thought. Um, mm. But, but I feel like a lot of giant monster movies almost. I mean, it's it's all, it's almost like a nexus where it's like it's coming the other direction too. But I feel like a lot of giant monster movies are kind of becoming superhero movies. And a lot of superhero movies are becoming giant monster movies where it's like what matters is this larger than life action and a whole lot of destruction. But I'm I'm stopping to see them a little bit as forces of nature that are, you know, bearing down on you and more as just, you know, these cool things that are happening with a lot of special effects around them. But you know, that's that's a whole conversation.
0: <laughs> no, no, it totally isn't, because the the it's so funny. Like the superhero conversation will always come up. It it just does on like conversations like this and i'm not gonna people don't need my rants on it anymore i have that's why i have this podcast because i'm have sure done <laughs> them. but like um you know like the, the idea that these movies even like the ones that kind of espouse more progressive stuff that uh i agree with right like it's there are very few of them that are not like they're, they're not interested in, in ideas or conversations about like coexistence you know, like mm-hmm. not, not in terms of like coexisting with like Hydra or something off like the villains. But I mean, like the ideas that these characters change the world around them, they're the movies are never very interested in that. Or even the television series very often, which is something I'm interested in as like a comic book nerd, right? Like I like yeah. when we explore like how these evolutions in science and science and technology shape the world around them. Like that's these are science fiction stories. We should be exploring the science fiction aspects, you know? And very rarely do I get that explored. And that's disappointing.
1: Yeah, it's like my feeling on it is like it like there's the like what it's about and how it's about it of it all. And, you know, like I, I watched Black Adam relatively recently, which um is a slick movie, and I I had fun with it, you know, with I have my, my criticism, but I had fun with it. But I also felt like this is a kaiju movie you know this is this is people with godlike powers just wrecking each other and destroying the world around them and we're not really seeing what i love in kaiju movies which is the people getting caught in the debris you know i'm seeing the debris i'm seeing the destruction i want to see the people getting caught in it like like my favorite shot in the um trailer for the 2014 godzilla movie um, which I think they changed in the final movie because they added the, the muto that's fighting in. But there's this shot where we're in like a closing bunker and we're looking up at Godzilla roaring like over like, you know, just overbearing like a skyscraper right above us, but the doors are closing, and it's like that's the feeling I want. I want to feel like, you know, the imminent impact of there's a skyscraper sized thing that is coming at me. You know, like that's mm-hmm. like that's that's something that you're not gonna get anywhere else. And you know what's a really good recent kaiju movie?
0: nope oh i'm so glad you
1: said that yeah, yeah. because because you know what because like you know are are we cool with spoilers on this podcast yeah yeah or...
0: nope well we we've been hammering okay. away that's that's like a, a number one number two of the year totally. oh yeah. yeah oh
1: absolutely and what i mean something that i love about that like even if they didn't reveal that it actually it is a living creature like even if they just kept it as this is a flying saucer that's sucking people up that thing it's not just objectively huge; it is subjectively huge, and it is subjectively huge in relation to very specific people that we come to care about, <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed as opposed to just man. That thing is like fifty feet tall, you know. Like it's it's not because that's because I, I think in in stories that's how we relate to things. It's it's not about objectivity. Otherwise, it's like God. Oh, there's an anecdote. I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the writer who gave it, but there was a. There was a writer who gave a speech it might have been Matthew Greenberg, but there was this writer who came to a festival that I attended who gave a little panel and he had an anecdote about being pitched on a story by a uh, by an executive It's just like like I have an idea for a movie. I want you to write it. There's this asteroid coming and it's 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 uh it's really big. and I think it was Matthew like Matt Matt's like well, and yeah, and what's your is is the story that it's like is this like a deep impact? Is this like an arm again. Like what's happening? It's like, oh no, it's just, it's really big, <laughs> you know? And, you know, he used that in his anecdote about how like, that's not what a story is. That's, you know, that, that's an image. But like, even then it's like, big doesn't mean anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you're using CGI animation, you know, programs to create something, the Godzilla that is gigantic, you know, in these MonsterVerse movies is you know it's it's it exists in a non-existent space here and you're just building it on your laptop like it's pretty small right it's like you know you you have a person in a costume like okay that person that that costume is uh 60 feet tall right size is entirely subjective so how do you make us feel it and the ones that can really make you feel it that's what I love like uh, Godzilla versus Kong I had a lot of fun with I really loved the fight on the uh the battleships the mecha godzilla fight felt a little empty to me because they're destroying the city and i and like after the first few shots of it we lose track of any people on the ground right there are a couple there's like a handful of protagonists off on of the side but like all these buildings are being destroyed are they are they empty or are they full <laughs> are you know has the city been evacuated or you know is are they killing millions upon millions of people or is it just you know wrecking tinker toys and i lost sense of that so it stopped feeling huge to me you know what i mean like that's that's yeah. the stuff that i'm always thinking about with uh with kaiju movies, and whenever I'm watching a like a 1970s uh Jun Fukuda movie, like uh the original Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, I'm like, whoa, he got scale there in that shot. That's so cool. You know, it's uh it it doesn't really matter about the uh the technology being used. It's all about perspective.
0: Yeah. So let me let me ask you about that because otherwise I'm gonna talk about how much I also love the boat fight in Godzilla versus Kong because it's like <laughs> there's there's so yes. much to keep track of there. Like like the geography is pretty simple, but like the the literal, like, balancing of the scale on the boats It's like, that's tons of fun. So the like, scale is
1: so specific there, too, because, yeah. it's like, what do you have to compare them to? The ocean? That's massive. The boats? Okay, we're getting there. These planes? It's like, okay, I have a very specific direct. There are three things in this shot, and I get a sense because one of them I know how big they are, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, like, as uh, we're basically occupying the low-budget filmmaking space, right? So, like, when you're yeah. making stuff, like, how do you decide like what what you even want to like create in in this the smaller space you know like because a lot of people or everyone who wants to write has like a big idea like 10 generally speaking people have big ideas and it's like well i can't do that right now i need to make something to uh, i think i think our, our mutual friend Liam o'donnell said you, you got to make a movie to make a movie yes yeah, um, which is a great saying, and I, I, it's definitely something I'm taking to heart right now. Um, trying to figure out what movie to make. The movie. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't try on that other movie. Just you know, there are steps you've got to take, unfortunately, uh, and sometimes very fortunately, because experimenting is also you you discover new exciting ways of telling a story. Um, but yeah, like in in this space, because I I very fondly remember your uh, your your sock short. You're missing mm-hmm. socks. Oh, what was it called again? It was. It was. Was it defeated?
1: Yeah. So like when we send it around to people, the label is just socks, but at the end of the title card is defeated. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it's a, it's a punchline,
0: but it's yeah. it's very funny and you play it like uh like a, a straight up horror movie. Like it, it is very sincerely like a horror movie for a sequence that I don't want to give away. Like I I did just give away like the punchline, but it's I promise it's <laughs> worth checking out. I'll link it in the descriptions below. Um. So, like, how do you go about that, like
1: idea in particular? So I guess, you know, I guess I, I sort of divide my my projects into two, two buckets, right? There's my screenplays, which I'm writing not necessarily with the sense that I would be able to make them myself. And then there's the stuff that I pick up a camera and go do. And in that bucket, in the actually go make it bucket, so it sucks. So my sister Tova is an actor. And um you know, 2020 lockdown, we're all in a house together. This is before she moved out and uh, we, she in particular was getting this creative itch of, I gotta make stuff, I gotta make stuff. And we were shooting little cute videos with her where she would have ideas and, you know, like she would act around in a Squirrel Girl costume, do a little music video. But she put out a call on Twitter at the time that was like, anybody have an idea for a short film? And is not even talking to me. And um, Mark Price uh, responded with this very long, interesting idea for a movie about the alternative world of socks. Where do socks go when they get sucked into the, the laundry machine? It was this very complex, you know, uh, structured story. And honestly, he can still go do that. Like I think, I think it's it's great and worth pursuing. And um, Tova shows that to me, and I'm looking at him like, I'd like to do something i can't this is this is a big thing this is quite the endeavor here you know the, we're, this this builds out a world and there's uh this has uh multiple characters and you know and it expands beyond you know a handful of sets and it's like what do we actually have right now we have a laundry room <laughs> we have ourselves i have an iphone um tova ordered a bunch of socks and uh I just wrote what is the simplest version of it that we can potentially shoot in a day in a laundry room with my iPhone. And that's really all it was. Like there wasn't a crew of any kind. There wasn't much beyond that. It's uh, it was just we're having fun. So I you know I wrote a little script and then I turned that into a very rigid shot list. And it's like, all right, we're gonna work through the shots, you know, one at a time, and eventually I'll cut it together. And that was that. and that's I feel like that's not super indicative of how I normally, shoot shorts you know because that's like this that's like the smallest kind of short i've done in recent years that i would call like a short that i would show people as opposed to like a funny little video and uh but blank on the other hand so blank is a for a film that you, you've you seen and i uh you know i shot a last um shot, shot it in December 2021 finished it this past year and it's now it's at the festivals and that's like a A real short, like it's 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 a half hour long, which is way too long for a short. But you know, and um you know, we shot with a crew and all that, and that came about for the same reasons as socks, but it went in a different direction. So, in that situation, Tova wanted to act in something that she could be proud of. I wanted to get behind the camera again. It's like, well, let's write something. But unlike most of the stuff that I write, where you know, sky's the limit, like let's just tell the story we need to tell. It's like let's take stock of what we actually have access to because we wanted to make sure we could actually do this. Like, let's say the most we could do is shoot it on an iPhone. Like let's say it turns out we can't get a crew together, handful of friends at most. You just have an iPhone. What can you do? And so we kind of kept a list basically, like as we were outlining the story, we were very clearly like, let's do something in the playground that's down the block because we have that. You know, the peers are right there. That's production value, you get the skyline, you know, it's uh stuff like that. So it's like three actors. And um, you know, occasionally some elements would come in that we didn't have. Like Tova's like, I really want my character to have a fish. It's like, why? It's like I just think it would be good. And so we bring it in and then it takes on some, you know, I guess deeper thematic significance if you want to look for it. But it was but that that's the kind of element that we actually extended ourselves to. Otherwise, it was basically locations. Keep to a minimum, but keep to places that we have access to with enough variety so it doesn't just feel like we're stuck in a barrage, Um, but very close together. It's all within a 15-minute walking distance. Um, Three actors, Um, small handful of props, Um, essentially no special effects. Um, We're just telling a story about people, and the biggest special effects is going to be the performances. So it it was a challenge you know it's a limit like limitations you know breed challenges but they also breed creativity and within that we were able to come up with a story that we thought resonated with us that thematically had weight that could keep us actually invested in wanting to tell the story um that gave our actors something to actually work with instead of just uh you know hitting beats and uh yeah, uh I guess to, to answer your, your, your question, it was just a matter of looking at what we had, being reasonable about what we don't have, but we could get, um, pushing that to the limit without going too far beyond the limit, and then making sure that within all that we're still telling a normal human story with a real dramatic core, that you know, no amount no amount of special effects, you know, added or detracted would uh you know, would thin out, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I mean uh, a couple things. So, like, one, all, all your actors in blank kill it. Tova With has you. one scene that that I I specifically when I after I saw it, I think it was like the first thing I I, I responded to. I was like, that moment was really remarkable, and I was just like, I, I kind of had like a holy shit moment. Like that, I'm not gonna say it for when pe- the the public gets to to watch it because it's a great it's a great short film. You should be very proud of it. but that one i was like damn like ooh, like i you'll know when you see it that's what i'll say um and uh also to to shout our shout out our buddy uh mark price who's just kind of like an idea machine because like i I have conversations about him with, with uh we share ideas we spitball and stuff like that and um and I'm definitely someone who's like, oh, yeah, I have this idea. And I'll, like, I'll do, like, a log line or a synopsis. And I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll finish that in a second. And he's like, yeah, I finished this other pilot. And I'm like, wow, thought, what? <laughs> like, what? How do you work that fast?
1: He's out there doing the thing. Like, he comes up with an idea. He's like, I'm going to write this script, tell her High Water. All right, I've got that one in the drawer. What's next? Yeah. Um, and honestly, that's probably the healthiest, best way to actually become... A, a a writer, first a good writer than a working writer, because um it, it trains the muscles that you need. Um, you sort of work out whatever kinks you're you're still working out. You're you're gathering tools as you go. You're developing instincts. Like that's yeah. No, he's he's doing the thing. It's it's really remarkable to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 dude will go places for sure. Um, yeah. And and I'll I'll work on responding to him faster because sometimes it, I'll, I'll like I'll see the message earlier in the day and I'll I'll be like i'll be out or about and then I'll, i'm like oh yeah that's right i got it i got it and then he has this great idea, and i'm like well i can't just like respond with like a oh that's great i gotta be like well now i gotta bounce back with
1: something <laughs> <laughs> i'll get a message from him that's where it's like like i've done pages today like I, I just did a i just reworked my outline and i'm just like cool and it's like a sincere like cool but I'm like i don't know what to say to that you're that's that's awesome Keep doing it. <laughs>
0: it's like I don't, I don't have something to give you yet. Please wait, wait for me. <laughs> like I, I'm, like, I'm trying to be faster.
1: <laughs> it's like you're like correct. You've done this. Good, good. This is great. Don't stop. It, you know, yeah. but he's um, not gonna. So it's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, of course you're blank. So like you, you mentioned like the locations, like really helped sell uh, a production value and like this. I mean the the New York skyline is like. That that really, I think sells the um, you know talking about scale again and stuff like that. Um, it's strange. I I I don't know if this was your intention, but like there's also a specific image. Uh, I don't want to give away the, the the elements of the film. We'll say, but it made me feel very small towards the end, and uh, it made it scarier. Like the world's very big, and. These people are just a very small part of it, and that that left me feeling a little strange. And I don't um, mm. I don't usually feel things like that from uh, horror short films. And that's not like to say that there's like stuff that's not great out there. I mean, you have another short film that we have to talk about, Third Date on Alter. Um, that was
1: my thesis film,
0: which is. You know, just an outstanding short film. Um Over a million views on Alter, by the way, everyone. So we're and counting, and counting.
1: I got a, a little certificate from them about that. That was really fun.
0: Oh, that that's great. That that's that's fantastic. I mean, that that's another one. Like you, you have these ideas that are definitely like they're they're dramatically sound. They're generally speaking genre oriented. Is is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's usually going to have a genre element or two in it.
0: Okay. And um but you can also read more into them if you'd like. I think they they, they leave um some breathing room for, for legibility on the audience's part. Or it's just like here's a story that you're watching with like a beginning, a middle and an end. And that that's like I, I think the key to like really hammering home like genre filmmaking you know like we can have all like the, the bells and whistles we want you know everyone loves the Sam Raimi cam i love the Sam Raimi cam but you know you, you love Sam Raimi cam <laughs> yeah i mean you know he's just he's the goat but you know you want a little a little more there um but uh yeah tell me about your your, your thesis film then that's uh Girl, that, that so- that's quite the idea you had there
1: so the thesis uh, third date. So that I shot that in twenty seventeen for my uh, my you know advanced narrative class and uh, shot that in four days. So I think it was three consecutive days, and then we had a break, and then came back for a fourth. And it is a horror movie about a uh, this woman who goes on a date with a guy, and her self esteem is for personal reasons extremely low. So. This guy who has red flags to him, the fact that he is kind to her and is showing an interest in her is enough to make her look past those red flags. And uh I'd say it probably doesn't reveal much to say that there is something more to him, and uh she has to uh, you know, make some choices with regards to how the state's gonna go. Um but yeah, it's um so I, I go to a lot of film festivals, usually as a screenwriter. There's a lot of uh, a lot of genre festivals have a screenplay component. And side sidebar: if you're a screenwriter and you want to figure out what to do with yourself as a, you know, like professionally, submit to these festivals that have in-person components because then you go there and you meet people, and there's really no better way to. Uh, you know, to to figure out your, your your footing in this world than to actually meet other people who are doing the same thing as you. But I go to a lot of these festivals and a lot of the features that show, you know, tend to be on the lower budget side because they're submitting to horror film festivals. And there's this consistent genre of movie takes place in a house or in a cabin or in, in a blank that's relatively small and contained with a small number of actors. And you know that's that's for budget reasons you have to make your your movie and but you know locations are extremely expensive and uh, the fewer company moves you have to make the, the easier it'll be for you to actually get your movie done you know on a budget um so the question is what how do you work within that constraint while still getting something compelling and you know on both of these short films you know third day to shot in 4 days Blank, blanka shot in 5 Their date is 20 minutes, blank is 30, so that was just a lot of uh really quick running around. The question is, you hit this wall of reality. How do you make it interesting within that? And uh you know, it's 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 so worth watching these cabin movies, these house movies, and analyzing what makes this one distinct from this one, distinct from this one, but what makes this one special or this one not special? And you know, you'll find it's it's a combination of things but it tends to come down to are these compelling characters with a conflict that is you know thematically interesting you know like conflict you know theme comes from conflict right theme comes from arc it comes from flaw it comes from disagreement about a concept or you know an outlook or a behavior and uh you know the way that it's sort of tested over the course of the story is through a conflict and you get whatever you know, lessons or conversations you want out of, out of that conflict, and you can do that on an empty stage, you know. And so then, you know, now you have the benefit of having a visual medium where you can you can use, you know, lighting and blocking and framing to you know in production design and all these things to further this, but you can't really lose track of that. You know, you're you're, you're trying to tell a a compelling human story most of the time uh how do you do that within the limits that you have and so you were talking about those those rainy camera moves and i really hope that one day i get the kind of budget where i can just let loose with something like that um but on both of these shorts particularly on blank because on blank we were just you know we're just hitting the ground running we do not have time to get anything you know particularly elaborate you start prioritizing and you realize this scene here of two people talking at a table. I want enough, you know, material that I can actually shape shape the conversation in the post, and I can actually adjust the performance and, uh, you know, play with pacing and all of these things because the special effect is the performance. I want full latitude to work with that. I don't really have time to set up, you know, a camera kind of revolving around the table or swooping underneath and. And you start to realize you don't really need that <laughs> to get to the emotion you're trying to get to. It's all that really matters is number one, are you getting enough material to actually cut together a story? Can you actually convey the information? Then number two, are you uh working to uh you know I guess do you have your eye on perspective? You know, is, is the camera in the place that you just put it in for a reason, or is it entirely third person's objective and maybe you do want it to be a third person objective then the question is why do you want it to feel like you know we're divorced from the emotions of what's happening here maybe you do so you you think about all these things and you think less in terms of what is the coolest most show-offy virtuosic way i can do that which there's merit to that you know a lot of film, fest- film festivals are full of movies that are just look at me i can do things you know hire me but you know rabbit a little bit but like in my, in my, no in no, my, no my, yeah. i encourage it <laughs> in, in in you know in, in my calculus if i don't have time to show off all that really matters is are you telling the story and are you telling it in a way that controls the you know the emotional questions that you want the audience to have and you could do that very simply you know and you could do that in a way where people aren't even really paying attention to how you're doing it if you're doing it well so you know for example There's a scene in Blank that I alluded to where it's uh, two people sitting at a table talking, you know, which is as (laughs) non-dynamic as you can get with, you know, with blocking, you know, and you start to think, how do I make that interesting? I have to get a wide of the approach, you know? I have to get the two shot. I want over the shoulders. I want individual shots. There's specific inserts I need. Oh, that's all I have time for. Shit. Okay, well, let's do that. <laughs> and uh, within that, let the performance performers experiment with their performances, uh, and uh, you know, just you know, it, it, it. There, there, there are little things that you can do to kind of spruce things up. But at the end of the day, just keep the uh, keep the camera focused on the people that you who are the you know the item of the story, like. That's what we connect with and make sure that we are looking at them from a perspective that uh, makes sense emotionally. The short, the short, more eloquent version is just, you do not have time to do insane, virtuosic things on your little short film. But that doesn't mean that you can't tell your story emotionally and uh, impactfully. And uh, there is elegance and simplicity um the question the question is just are you in control of that simplicity? um and then you know, within that simplicity, you can then get longer takes that you can then work in you know work on in post like like for that particular scene that I was just talking about, the table scene, um because we were so short on time that day, we ran these uh series takes, you know, where instead of cutting and starting again, we just kept the camera running, and you know the actor would say a thing and then I would say all right, let's keep rolling. Let's take it back from, and then we bring it back to a particular line. But I give a tweak. So we have these just these endless takes, and you get magic out of that. Like the actors hate it. <laughs> the actors hate it. They want to finish. They, you know, they, you're you're telling them to get to an emotional high point, and then say, "Hey, take it back to that point where you were chill." Um, but you know what? You you do that enough times, you get some interesting options, and then also you get some looks, some glances. That you don't realize are going to save you in the in the edit later. And I have a friend who uh shot a feature, a low budget feature on 16 millimeter, um, which you know on the face of it is just really impressive. That's like skydiving to me, like it's just terrifying, but it's like if you can do that, if you pull it off, that's awesome. A downside is number one, you know, film processing, you know, that eats into your budget. Two, your uh, you know, your your just loading every time like eats into your schedule, which also eats into your budget. And three, you can't get as much raw footage as you would like. So fewer setups, uh fewer takes. And then you're kind of left with maybe you don't love the performance that you have, you know, <laughs> and maybe the pacing's a little weird. Whereas you're shooting digitally, um with motivated angles, but with more than one angle. Uh you run these series takes. Um you can get some real magic out of it that you can then actually play with and post and create something that's seamless, but also just really effective. There are a couple of shots in that scene I was telling you about where uh, the actors were giving each other, you know, responsive looks, just like some they would say, like one of them would say something, the other one would give a look that might seem exasperated. But they were just reacting to either me telling them let's take it back from or some traffic noise that shut us down for a moment. It was like <laughs> And it works you know so you know the the sh- the shortest version of all of this is stor- story first emotion and story second any sort of show-offy you things you know that's that's uh champagne problems to have
0: yeah yeah does that no, answer that, anything like, uh that was that no was, that does no, no no, no. That, that was great that was great this
1: is, exactly, <laughs> this is
0: exactly why i asked you to come on and, and talk about this stuff because i i find it so fascinating something i have to keep in mind you know and um yeah this is exactly what i wanted this conversation i I don't know how much time i have you for but i I won't won't keep you like forever but uh... i
1: i am not particularly busy today
0: Okay, great. So well, the next three hours we can discuss uh, <laughs> the uh, Glass Onion spoilers. No, um, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's I hero territory. I love it. Oh no, oh no. <laughs>
1: let's, let's stray, stray away First from there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, uh, stray away from that as far as possible. This movie uh, was
1: about me, and I don't like it. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, like, the, there you go. There's another movie that's very economic with like it's it's shot not super flashy, like, it kind of opens flashier with,
1: like, the editing and the cross-cutting and stuff, but... No, nah. well, he's actually an interesting example, because when I was watching that, I was I was paying close attention to, you know, what is it doing with this camera, because I'm trying to expand my own visual vocabulary, you know, in, mm-hmm. in regards to what I might actually do on a set, and there is one scene in the middle with uh, Daniel Craig and a second character sitting at a table on a balcony, and... On page, that is two people at a table talking. And so what does Ryan Johnson do? He gets, you know, he gets this these uh you know, aside from the, the standard, you know, you get the punch-ins, we get the over-the-shoulders, we get the two shots. We have the camera kind of moving, crossing, changing to one eighty. We have where the camera's on one character, we kind of drift back, and then that character refers to an object that's there, and the camera zooms out for a second to reveal that object, zooms back in, moves back over. It's the benefit of having a forty million dollar budget is <laughs> yeah. that you can make. Is that if you if if you actually know what you're doing narratively, you can make any scene visually, you know, dynamic. Um, if you don't have that that kind of budget, though, there's there's there, there's stuff you can do to make it interesting, and it really just comes down to why is the camera there, you know, <laughs> why are we mm-hmm. cutting to the why are we cutting to this angle, you know, what wh- whose perspective are we a lo- you know, I guess uh bombing
0: on to for this you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean another big thing that uh, um, like I don't know if you heard him talk to Joseph Kaczynski with that variety like directors on directors no okay so I think you'd like that because he specifically references that scene in particular to describe mm-hmm. what you just described because he was like you know it's dialogue how do you like make it different and interesting he's like well I bro I would he made it like three acts through the camera decisions and like the uh, the the crossing of the eye lines, um the wow. the object you just referenced, he used that as another one. And it was like his description of that, I was like, oh, like I would never that's why I use Ryan Johnson, because I would
1: never have yeah. figured that out. You know what I mean? Like I guarantee that scene took all day. Like how is that <laughs> yeah. like that doesn't that doesn't fly off. Um so there is one flashy thing I did in that scene I was telling you about with the table. Um that nobody has noticed. Which on one hand, part of me is like, yes, nobody should notice. It should be subconscious. But part of me is also like, this is for the proof that it doesn't really matter if you're just telling an interesting story and people are wrapped to what's happening on screen. But um, the first half of that scene is entirely static on tripod. And there is a specific moment where the conversation destabilizes, where I had our DP take the camera off the tripod, and it becomes entirely handheld. And nobody has... If they've noticed it, nobody has pointed it out. Um, And I'm hoping that it gives a sort of destabilizing effect to what we're watching. Um, But it's entirely a subconscious thing. And at the end of the day, somebody watching it, if you ask them, what did you see in that scene? They say, I saw these two characters having this conversation. You
0: know? -hmm. Yeah, I I guess I have to rewatch it now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... Um, But I, I guess uh, another just technical question that I want to move back into screenwriting too, because, you know, you, you mentioned that that's kind of like your, is, is it fair to say that that's your primary focus screenwriting, or is it just kind of like something that you started with and then evolved back and forth between that and directing?
1: It's my primary focus, and I think there's, I think, I think, I, I think, I think the more you know about the process of filmmaking beyond screenwriting, I think the more equipped you'll be to write a script that actually feels like a movie. Hmm. So it's, I think it's important to know all these things about directing and, you know, camera, you know, bullshit. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, screenwriting is my main thing.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I want to get your take on lens choice and stuff like that. So, cause I, I've had discussions with other filmmaker friends who like, they, they want to basically utilize as many lenses as possible to try to convey different things. And you know, that's easier said than done, of course. And they they also understand that to their credit. Um, But they, they like exploring, like, the visual palette, like, getting as dynamic while being true to the story, like, being as dynamic as possible with, like, uh, lenses. And, like, as, as someone who's, like, uh, really gotten into photography the last couple of years, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's the most reliable form of income for me at this point, too. Um, Like, I love practicing, like, or trying out, like, old vintage lenses and stuff like that um like these old there's a lot of old soviet lenses that you can get really cheap for like 30 to 50 bucks on ebay and it's I, like oh this is so cool <laughs> you know and i'm like is it but is it like good for like uh, uh someone's headshot you know what i mean like maybe it's not yeah <laughs> and it's like it's something I, I try to keep in mind as well like i just want to get your opinion on like um when you go about like uh directing like how do you how do you choose that
1: so i guess sort of my disclaimer is kind of fundamentally, I think it shouldn't have to matter. Um, you know, if it, like like if all you have is an iPhone, I think you should be able to tell an interesting story, you know, so long as the story that you've written is interesting and you have, you know, compelling performers and you know where you're putting your camera and why, and you know, with lighting that is to the benefit of what you're doing. But that said, there's this line that, James Cameron had in his masterclass that has stuck with me. Um, Have you seen his masterclass?
0: I actually have. It's been a while. I don't remember the exact line you're referring to, but I imagine it's something along the lines of the audience doesn't give a shit, which is like, no, actually,
1: (laughs) actually, no. I mean, that's, 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 that's that's his, you know, that's his way of being a general, but like, he has a great (laughs) line because he's what he was talking through. I think the nightclub scene in Terminator and his line was along the, was, was along the lines of, lens choice is about the memory that you would have if you were there. Um, which is which is just fascinating where it's like if you're thinking back, I am in this story and I and I'm at a nightclub and I see the Terminator across the room, right? And I'm sorry and the, the Terminator is the thing that I see, but he's across the room. That's not a wide lens, right? That's a long yeah. lens because I'm seeing him across the room, so it's there's the distance. But I'm focused on him, right? So you, so you are, you know, essentially zoomed in on something, and other things might fall out of focus. But it's all kind of stacked on top of each other. Whereas, like, I'm in this place, this crowded place, and I'm just overwhelmed by all, by everything all around me. That's probably why. So it's, you know, I think that that's probably just, you know, remedial. It's probably like one on one stuff. But it's, uh <laughs> you know, like, let it, let's say it's a close up, right? Um, you know, like on on shooting Blank or Third Date or Conscience or some other stuff. Um, you know, when you're just working fast, sometimes it just kind of come to, comes down to we only have enough room to put the camera here. You know, we have to use this lens because that's the only lens that can get the framing that we want. But but sometimes it kind of comes down to how in the moment do you want to be, right? You know, if you're, if you're doing a long lens with a shallow depth of field, that can give you a feeling of you are alone with this person that might, that might give you sort of a romantic vibe or a, you know, cannot escape sort of a vibe. Um, Wide lens on a, on a person feels very real and very, uh, you're in the space too. Right. So So I think, I think it's an effective tool and that's kind of my, I guess guess that's, that's my attitude when it comes to all sorts of things, what be it, lens choice or structure or any kind of formalistic thing i don't think there's a right or wrong way necessarily i think there are tools and i think it comes down to what are you trying to do and do you think this gets you there um so you know like you could be a Dogma 95 guy and just say i'm going to stick to one lens we're not even going to use lighting it's all going to be practical and then that gets an effect that you're chasing or you can say i'm going to get really finicky shot by shot it really matters to me lens choice in this particular scene i want to feel like there's a little bit of a distance from the from the world but they're not entirely removed from it you know what kind of lens gets that you know or um we're so locked in on a person that you know we want to get a certain level of anxiety that we uh that but we're still looking at the person maybe that's either that's an extreme wide maybe or that's an extreme long lens and you're just framing it so you're not getting anything else, you know, that compresses something like it, it it all, it all gets, it all gets an effect. So I guess short answer is what effect are you looking for? And do you think it gets you there?
0: No, that's a pretty good answer. You're on a roll with those actually. Um, But like, let's just over to (laughs) screenwriting then let's, let's start um, dialing back on that. So you have a lot of ideas I've read some of them. They're, of course, terrific. Um, how did you like start? Because, like, I, if I just speaking for myself, I was like, I, I just straight up, you know, in the Google search bar, how do you write a screenplay? Because I was like, well, how, I don't remember how old I was when I first started dabbling, but I did not know what I was doing. I still probably don't know what I'm doing, you know? But I, mm. I, I like what I'm doing anyways, you know what I mean? But like, I so I just searched that and then it's like, you know, Aaron Sorkin pops up, uh, Robert Town, uh, people like that, you know, like the, I, I think they they tend to be the standard, whether or not you're a fan of some of them. Maybe I have some choice words that I don't <laughs> need to repeat in the podcast for certain people I've seen. But, you know, that that's how I did it. So like when you get started there. You know what? What is uh, young Avi's mode to writing your first screenplay?
1: So I s- started young. Um, uh, when I was, I'm gonna say thirteen, and I'm gonna have to double check on that. Um, I I wrote my first the first script that I actually typed out. I had done a lot of stuff in notebooks. Um, it was a lot of fanficky stuff. Like my, my first thing, I think, was like. An alien sequel that I wrote in like a couple of like marble notebooks. <laughs> yes, which, the, uh, this is why yeah. we're friends. <laughs> yes, um, I mean I, I I I I'm sure you might have some words for for that young version of me because because uh, I'm pretty sure it was like an alternate Alien Three. Oh, every, <laughs> but, that's everyone's <laughs> go-to, except for me. But yeah, go ahead. But you know, um, the first thing I ever typed out was when I was 13. I typed out a, I guess a, a serious remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Because at the time, you know, I'm a kid and I'm like, why do they only remake good movies? I say they should remake bad movies because because nobody likes the originals and like the new ones, you know, you have a chance to finally make it good. And I, I, God bless my heart, I thought I was writing a better version. Um, And I wrote it in Microsoft Word. Pretty sure I, it like, I think I just kind of wrote it out and then eventually learned what the margins were and just like line by line fixed the margins. Um. It was an exceedingly long script, um, and I think I followed that up with like kind of like a Wizard of ozzy kind of a sequel, like like sort of a remake kind of a thing, which I wrote in some free screenwriting program that was like in a browser, you know, just sort of cloud based. Um, you know, I, I I feel like that's that's how a lot of people start, where they're they're just sort of typing out IP they don't own <laughs> in <laughs> programs that are not really you know. Top of the market, and that's fine. Like, I have a very specific memory that when I was a, when I was a kid, it was after Spider-Man Two had just come out. Like, I'm gonna write Spider-Man Three, and I sat down and I typed on Microsoft Word a like forty page Spider-Man Three because I didn't know how long it was supposed to be, and the formatting was garbage, and the script itself was garbage. And you know, I, and I went to my, my my parents um. Had a had a college reunion and I went to the college reunion and there was somebody there who was a working screenwriter and I told him about you know about this and he says oh well you know you should you should write in final draft um you know what, what you, don't write in Word write a final draft and I'm like no I'm gonna write in Word and that was and I actually met up with that guy years later he's he's a mentor at story, and you know we we laugh now but um you know that 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 was kind of how it started and then you know. In high school, I got a little bit more serious with it because I'm making movies, right? It's all about, I want to make movies. And, you know, in, in, I had just done this 40 minute found footage zombie movie, uh, which was not scripted. We had like an outline, but it was otherwise kind of improvised. It's like, I'm going to write a sequel, but this one I'm actually going to write a script for. And I wrote like this long ass script, <laughs> you know, in like Celtics. And, uh, followed that, I was like, I'm going to, I like writing scripts. I'm going to write another script for something I'm not going to make. It takes place in, like, the origins of Purim. And I wrote, like, a long thing of that. I go off to my gap year, um, start, you know, start writing these a uh, little bit more serious, you know, attempts at scripts, all in Celtics. Um, come to NYU. Don't have, you know, can't be on sets as much as I wanted, so I'm, I'm not stretching that muscle as much as I want. Lean into screenwriting. Start taking screenwriting classes because they're, you know, they're mandatory. Uh, but then, just because it's exciting, um, you know. So I'm, I start more seriously diving into writing scripts that I would actually want to show human beings. And all along the line, I'm just devouring any book I get my hands on. It's about screenplay structure, like you know that. I, I you know, and, I, and I've been doing that my whole life. At that point, like I you know just ever since I was a kid. But especially in college, it's like you know I have a bookshelf lined with them. I rent like I. I uh, this fucking story about Robert McKee like <laughs> like the classic sort of like oh you're you know like oh you're a screenwriter name one Robert McKeeism. you know it's uh <laughs> you know completely like it's, it's it's sort of like the cliche and it's long as hell and super dense but like I devoured that you know and it's uh you know every every week or so I would like go to like the local bookstore and it's like are there any more books about writing that I haven't read yet um and uh yeah, you know, eventually kind of grew out of that, but uh, that's that's how I got into it. And then, you know, in college, um, in my junior year, I had a, a a feature writing course that I decided to take. Um, where the the professor is Professor John Warren. I had him as my freshman uh, shorts writing teacher. He had a program for juniors and seniors that would only accept fourteen students. Um, And it was a two semester program. So I got into that and the first semester is just learning about structure and outlining and you are outlining a feature script, you know, first you just write kind of like a premise, then you write like, you know, a paragraph, then you're outlining act one, then you're outlining the whole thing. And every time you're showing it to the class and you're getting notes. And in the second semester, you're turning that into a feature script and you write 30 pages at a time and there's a rotation. Eventually, when it's your turn again, you better have your next 30 pages. And you do a table read in the class and you get reactions and notes. And, uh, you know, I had a, I was writing this werewolf script at the time. I had my first 30 pages. Uh, we read it out in class. Teacher says, so I think you've got some issues with your, uh, you know, your protagonist's goal I think is not necessarily clean enough, but you know what? write the next act, and then, you know, eventually you will come back and sharpen it. And, like, later that night, I get an email from him saying, I was wrong. you got to rework this before you do the next 30 pages. I'm like, oh, shit. So then i like, spend that, that weekend, like, like what is, a, what is a clear way I can rewrite this first act, you know, like, character goal so that it's, you know, so that it's clean and so that it's direct and so that it, I can survive this class. And I had to come up with something. I took that to my professor and, he, and I had to, like, pitch why it worked. And he's like, okay, okay do that. And, uh, you know that was sort of my, my first big entry into the world of oh this stuff actually has to like work, <laughs> oh this actually has to pass muster. Um, that script of mine ended up being the first script I wrote that I actually started placing in contests. Um, it, it got me a general at Dark Universe, R.I.P. Um, which was mm-hmm. really fun. Um, I got they had this great uh you know lobby with a gigantic Frankenstein monster lab that you pull a lever and lights flash and stuff but anyway that that was uh i would say that's probably the first thing that i wrote that i would feel kind of comfortable showing human beings and then just ever since then you know hopefully improving by the way one of my classmates in that class his project ended up on the annual backlist
0: oh wow congratulations yeah
1: and he wound up on there like a couple more times like he's he's doing great
0: (laughs) oh yeah yeah i mean that's always great to hear you know like and Sometimes you could tell like, oh, that person's gonna like they're gonna sprout a, a little faster yeah. than than the rest of us and um i'm I'm glad you brought up uh, your professor John Warren um because I, I also kept up with the uh, uh, the screenwriters uh, coffee class, I believe it's called, right? Is that?
1: Yes. so in uh in lockdown, he got antsy about wanting to you know, about being a professor. It's difficult to be a professor in lockdown. So he created an online course that now has a uh, a bustling discord
0: yeah i i have not joined the discord i'm i'm terrible even at my own <laughs>
1: podcast discord i have he's to... not on it he's not on it it's, oh. uh it, it's run by his assistants um, who are basically who are basically the caretakers now of this of his um online empire but uh but yeah he uh it's 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 a really interesting uh it's a really interesting thing that he's created where you can even you can opt into these digital courses and there's a you know ever the professor like there's assignments and uh you know in the discord you can share what you've had so far and get feedback and whatnot it's uh it is a net positive thing
0: yeah it's it, it was i mean it, it helped during that i mean it, it helps consistently it's it's always great to like tune in I'm like oh i they're talking about something i didn't think about or like oh maybe i disagree but like i could see why that beneficial to someone else like very healthy screenwriting environment at least from what i've seen there and uh yeah, that that but that first year where like literally no one left the house, I was like, this helped a lot. <laughs> the yeah kept me sane. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I mean I, I guess uh, I I was surprised you brought up the the uh, the dark universe thing because I I wanted to know if I could bring it up just because I was curious about like what was that like? I think that production area of of the industry sort of has a has an air of mystique around it i guess we'll say what uh
1: like in the sense of like um, like general meetings
0: or general meetings um and then also literally like the dark universe like office you mentioned which because i have heard you describe the office before and it sounds like it it sounds like the van helsing lab almost which i love (laughs) um I'll send you, know, you a got... video
1: at some point. I have a video on my phone. Um, oh,
0: yes, please do. Um, but like I I'm fascinated by it. they've only got one movie made. Um, but yep. yeah, what was one, what was a general meeting like for that specifically? And do you have any advice <clears> for people going into general meetings?
1: Sure. So that was my first ever general meeting. And I was like still in school at the time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I'm like. I'm like a babe in the woods in this whole thing. I'm just sort of like, wow, the movies. Like Now I I think I have a much more measured understanding of that world. But at the time it was just, I was hip pocketed by a manager, which means that there was a manager who took an interest in this one particular script, but didn't necessarily want me as a full-time client. So he had set up a meeting between me and a fellow at Dark Universe, um, which at the time had yet to release The Mummy. Um, so I flew out to LA and what, what this means is that the fellow at Dark Universe, so I, if I recall, it's been a while um, was a uh, creative executive but what it means is he read my script liked it, not enough to want to buy it, which is most situations, but enough to want to know what kind of a writer or in person I am so I flew out got incredibly lost in the universe a lot found their bungalow with their office which uh you know after dark universe fell apart i i man i have since tried to look up uh i've since tried to look up this article and i could not find it but at the time i read an article that was talking about like sort, sort of a what the hell were they thinking kind of article about dark universe and there was a little mention of they spent like Thousands of dollars on this ornate lobby with, uh, with a diorama of Frankenstein's lab, and now it just sits covered in dust. And I remember reading that, being like, oh, but it was so cool, though. I'm glad they spent that weird amount of money. But you show up, you know, you show up, and you're in this lobby, and there's an assistant there at the desk who's like, you know, I'll let you in shortly, but in the meantime, pull that lever, and a lot of cool lights happen, and then eventually you go into an office with an executive, and you chat. And you just kind of shoot the shit like they want to know about you and you want to know about them and uh, you're talking and I, uh, you know, he, he he said some of their some, you know, he talked about some of the fun projects that they had lined up, which sadly never happened and some stuff that uh, um, some Dark Universe stuff in particular um, and talked them, you know, a bit about who I am, what kind of stuff I want to write. And, uh, you know, he, he offered to hear me out in a couple of pitches. And then that was it, nothing ever came of it in the sense of, uh, you know, he didn't pursue any of the other pictures that I had, Dark universe fell apart. That's how most general meetings are gonna go, right? It's just, it's social, It's they wanna know who you are. But it's it's crucial too, you know, that's that's how you meet people and that's how you get a sense of the industry and that's how they get a sense of you. And you never know, you never know what will lead to something professionally, but in the meantime, you know, to like early twenties me, I was just like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> you know, so general meetings, you know, usually are either some like somebody has read your script, or they haven't read your script, but somebody managed to get an intro, and you're basically sitting down with a producer or an executive or a rep or somebody, and it's entirely just to get a sense of you as a as a human being because they can get a sense of you as a writer from your writing but they want to know are you somebody who they might potentially want to work with down the line or are you some you know some difficult weird person you know is there something simpatico going on here is there not um and it's uh it's a lot of fun honestly if you're not the most anxious person (laughs) in the world um but yeah, I would say my, my piece of advice to anybody who finds themselves in a general meeting who is not already kind of seasoned at it is just kind of be yourself. You know, don't don't get too rehearsed about it. It is a casual thing. Let them lead, but also make sure that you're 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 answering their questions, but also asking them questions. Um, you know, ask them about them. You know, get a, get a sense of who they are, what they do um do do your homework in advance but you know be open to hearing it all again and uh when it comes to pitching other projects read the room because sometimes you might feel like wow we are really clicking at that you want to hear some other stuff i have and sometimes you're like this is you know this uh, this we have clearly sort of run the course of the conversation and this person doesn't want to sit down and hear about other scripts i've written so you know it's 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 people reading but keep it casual and have fun with it (laughs) And don't be a dick. Like don't, like don't, like come in and say like, oh, you guys produced uh Fast and Furious Seventeen. Oh, I hated that. You know, like don't, don't, like you know, don't, don't shit talk. Like, if they shit talk, maybe you can find a, a place where you can kind of jump in and do the same. But like in general, like, you know, nah, we're we're here to make friends. We're not here to be dicks. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I like that. Like, you know, I I've not found myself in that experience yet, as of yet. But um, I think it's important to just. I think that's good life advice for any like kind of career. Just like you know, you, you want to yeah. get along with the people you're working with. Like, if you don't get along, it's not going to be a good fit, even if they're like, okay, like I'll, I'll, I'll we can make money together. If you don't get along though, like it's gonna it's gonna be like pulling teeth everyone's had a bad job. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, it, it it does it doesn't like don't be fake. Like, don't be a sycophant, Don't be like, oh that thing. Oh, I love that. Like, don't you know? Don't don't be insincere. But steer towards positivity because you know there's there's really there really isn't a benefit otherwise. If if they ask you like, you know, we had a box office flop rate lately and. The critics hated it and you know we we're proud of it but we feel like it didn't really work um, what, do, what do you think about it you know you might like like you might start off with positives you like maybe gently get into some things you think you could have done a little bit better but don't be like add another thing you know like that's like not you know you're, it's it's uh you know and by the way if the general meeting is not going well it's not gonna go long either so don't worry about it like like you know be be nice be good don't get confrontational if it's going poorly if you really don't get along with this person you're probably not going to be in there that long anyway so you just just be civil until you have to be out of there
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh i think i think that that's a pretty good note to to end on this conversation went very well so it's the opposite of of a bad uh general meeting but um hey. you know it's <laughs> it will edit always it to a, be
1: better <laughs> yeah
0: there you go we're going to leave you on a high um yeah it's, I mean it's always a pleasure talking to you uh what do you have going on that you can talk about or do you have any social medias that you'd like people to check out
1: um so I, I right now I have a few projects uh well I have I have the short film blank which is on the festival circuit and hopefully we'll eventually find a home online that you could all see um I have a few screenplays in development with some companies that I really hope to have some good news to share about soon, but nothing public at the moment. Um, when that does, you know, hopefully if things go well. If, if I do get some good news out of that, maybe we can talk about that side of the business because it's way more complicated than I thought, you know, going in. Um, socials, I'm on Twitter at AvishaiW, and I'm on Instagram at AvishaiOddity. That's A-V-I-S-H-A-I. Um And, yeah, I'm annoyingly prolific on Twitter. So uh, if you need to find me, find me there.
0: You you say annoyingly, I I think wonderfully, because I think screenwriting Twitter has, how do I put this? It tends to have a connotation. I don't Mm -hmm. think you fall into that. I have never read, honest to God, I've never read something you've said where I rolled my eyes or was like, oh, geez. Because some people... Oh, then I'm not working
1: hard enough (laughs) (laughs) then.
0: No, no, but, like, there there are definitely people who I even admire who will, like, tweet something about form or structure or that godforsaken slugline debate that happens every other week. Oh, my God. you you know what that all reminds me of?
1: You know what that all reminds me of? So, like, first of all, like, I love damn near everybody on, you know, screenwriting Twitter. Certainly, like, the people I interact with regularly, like, I think they're just the loveliest people. And... Generally, generally, it's all the conversation is great, too. Um, every so often, out of some weird, dark recess of Twitter, some stupid debate will come out, and suddenly suddenly, we have to talk about these things that do not have a bearing on screenwriting. Like, I'm sorry, like, like slug lines, like, if somebody is reading your scripts, and they see your slug line is bolded, and they're like, well, this isn't professional, and they throw it away, like, that's not a person who was ever serious to begin with. Frankly, so much of what screenwriters, particularly early screenwriters, get obsessed with, and I was certainly obsessed with this stuff when I was new and reading book after book, so much of that is outside-in stuff that is not actually relevant to the quality of a script. And it always feels to me a bit like criticizing an actor's performance based on the haircut they had. You know, it's like, that's presentation, sure, but that... but. If you're looking at that and not their performance, then maybe their performance wasn't particularly interesting or or you're not looking at it right, you know? And whenever I see like, oh, you wrote we see, that's bad, it's like it can be bad, it can be good, it can be neutral. How is it here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what what is it how is it here? Because it is a tool, like a lens. It is being used for a specific thing. Is it being used well here? And I've seen scripts that uh do everything quote unquote right, that left me cold. So, you know, it's uh there's stuff to get over. There, God, I'm getting sidetracked again. But I got it. Sorry. But like I, I, there's this uh there's this uh screenwriting retreat I like to go to called Cinestory, uh which is expensive as hell, but it's nonprofit, so it's okay. And uh, uh one of the mentors there, I think it was Philip Eisner, had a great bit of advice. Um, which is, you're always told, show, don't tell. It's like, well, sometimes you got to tell something. You know, sometimes sometimes you you just need to get something clear on the page that might be super clear in the theater, but isn't clear to the executive reading it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to go a little bit too far and then eventually they'll pair it back, but you have to go far enough just so that there's no confusion. It's like, show and tell. It's like, you know what? Do what your story needs, <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's that's what it all comes down to. Do what your story needs. Don't, don't go by a checklist. Don't go by a uh, friggin' you know, how long is this dialogue block? <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous stuff. Um, but you yourself have not been ridiculous. Thank you again so much for doing this. Uh, when I'm, when I'm in New York, I'll hit you up. Uh, you're in LA, please hit me up. We'll, we'll hang again. Cause, uh, uh, last time we just watched a James Bond movie, and I'm glad we did, but, you know, we don't, we, there wasn't a lot... You had a busy week that week anyways, but, like, it was, um... Uh, you know, we could actually just hang out and, like, shoot the shit some more, because th- this has been a blast.
1: Oh, oh, 100%. If you're ever in New York, hit me up. If I'm ever in LA, you know, you're getting a call. And before we end this, I should tell you what they changed to the Pacific Rim script.
0: Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> please do. This is now the best note to end on.
1: Okay, so... And I understand why they changed it, because, uh, you know, this was before Guillermo del Toro came came on board, and they restructured the whole thing, basically, to, you know, there's stuff in the original draft that was very cool, but also potentially alienating. And when you have a $200 million movie, you need to make sure that your risks are mitigated. So I get it. But in Pacific Rim, you need two pilots per Jaeger, um, and they share a mental bond called a drift right? Mm-hmm. So, in the current movie, Raleigh Beckett just lost his partner, who it's been a while since I watched. Was that his brother?
0: It's his brother, yeah.
1: Okay, cool. So he loses his brother, who's his partner, and they need to pair him up with... Um, God, I'm embarrassing myself. What's her name? Uh,
0: Mako Mori.
1: Mako. My, thank you. God, yeah. it's been a while. Okay. Uh, Mori, it's like my favorite, and, so
0: that's why we might yeah. yeah, I yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and I've seen it enough times, I should know. But Mako Mori um, is eager to, you know... To be his new partner and they you know there's there's a little bit of uh you know some, some tension there um uh, but they uh you know he sees her into her past and they become uh you know they they become close and they become you know they become allies in the film the original draft raleigh had lost his brother you know a year prior to the beginning of the story essentially kind of like in the current film nakomori just lost her partner like yesterday Um, she had been a pilot she just lost her partner it's really raw to her military is like i'm sorry we don't have enough time to let you heal we need to pair you up with somebody asap because these monsters are coming and they won't stop and so they decide to pair her up with raleigh but she's really reluctant to join with him because she has this open wound of just having lost her partner also he only speaks english and she only speaks japanese and so they do not have a literal way to understand each other So it's about how do they bond with each other while still being, you know, without actually being able to understand each other. And they need to bond in order to get the drift going so that they can pilot the robot. If they can't get the drift going, the robot's inert. And partway through the movie, like halfway, when they start actually connecting emotionally, in the drift, they start to understand what each other are saying, like they're in a poorly dubbed Japanese movie. And... I loved that so much. And I was like, this is so exciting. I can't wait to see it. And then the movie comes out. It's like, well, we figured it would be a difficult to sell. was like, you know, this language barrier. And, you know, it's a lot to like, and I'm like, well, damn it. Maybe in the sequel. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, broader lesson here is you write a script. It's going to go into development. It's going to become something different. It is not a bad thing to become something different. I am sad that they lost that. But I'm happy that Pacific Rim is a movie (laughs) and it wouldn't have been if it was just sort of left the way it had been in in its earlier draft. People come in, it becomes a collaboration, you get notes, you evolve the thing. Um, Guillermo del Toro brought in his signature sensibilities and it became Pacific Rim as we know it today. And I guess this will be the note I end on. Like You're going to write a script. Rewrite it, rewrite, rewrite. Get notes, get notes, get notes. Rewrite it. Get it to a point where somebody's finally excited about making it, and then maybe you're going to sign some sort of agreement, and then you're going to get notes, and you're going to get notes, and you're going to get notes, and then they're going to attach a director, and you're going to get notes, and they're going to attach an actor, and you're going to get notes, and producers will have notes, and distributors will have notes, and you're going to keep on working on the thing, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. And stereotypically, it's considered bad, but that's just the process, and so you have to be open to it, and able to kind of go with that flow and uh make all sorts of lemonade
0: yeah that that's a fantastic note in on thank you for that uh now I do wish that had been the movie and also completely understand <laughs> why it wasn't because producers and language bear, the language barrier thing is, is yeah. probably the
1: more money there is the more money there is the more butts you have to get into seats and the fewer obstacles you want to that and somebody looking at something and saying that looks too weird for me might not show up. So I get it. But, you know, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs>
0: yeah. so he should hold on to that idea for another project he has. I don't know what, but like that, ah, that that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. Uh, just like this been a fantastic conversation. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, links down to, to all the stuff. Obviously I mentioned down below, um, you, you know, our social medias. Um, we don't, we don't know if we're going to keep promoting it just because, Social media is in a weird place right now. So unless anything changes, you'll hear where else to find us. Uh, I added links to the Discord uh, at the start of the new year. So check check that out. Everyone go, go check that out. I promise to start popping in there more often. Um, yeah, this has been great. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. But if you didn't like this, you know, that was rude. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. You have been professionally unprofessional and